Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Luke's English Podcast is made possible thanks to support from my sponsors and also donations from listeners. If you would like to support the show with a donation, you can do it via PayPal. Just click one of the donate buttons that you'll see on the website. You can also send me a direct bank transfer too if PayPal isn't supported in your country for some reason. The details for that are on my website. Uh, In the menu, you'll see uh, an item that says Luke, and there's a drop-down menu from that, and you need to click Support Luke. That's where you can get the details for doing a bank transfer. If you have sent me a donation recently, I would like to say a very special thank you to you. You are keeping this podcast alive, and I see it as the most sincere way that you can thank me for my efforts in providing this free podcast for learners of English. Sponsorship for this episode comes from italki, and that's a service that I think is a great companion to this podcast. With italki, you can get the speaking practice or English tutoring that you need by connecting with native speakers and qualified teachers online through Skype. You go onto italki, you create your profile, and then you check out the different teachers that they have. You can see little uh, videos so that you can get an introduction to them. You can have a trial lesson with them. And ultimately, when you found the teacher that you prefer, you can then organize lessons based on your own schedule. You can set your own learning aims, and then you can have lessons or conversations pretty much anywhere that you have an internet connection. To get a free lesson with italki, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, 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 hello. This is Luke's English Podcast, episode number 520, which is called Idioms, Game and Chat with Andy Johnson, plus 18 more idioms and vocab items explained. And in this episode, you can continue to listen to a conversation that I recorded with Andy Johnson just the other day. The language focus in this double episode is on idiomatic expressions. In fact, we're playing a sort of idioms game. The rules of the game are that before having the conversation, Andy and I had to prepare three idioms each. And by prepare, I mean just to uh, just think of three idioms or flick through an idioms dictionary and pick three idioms that you like, uh, any three idioms. And then during the conversation, we had to try and insert the idioms naturally without drawing too much attention to them, just slip them into the conversation naturally. That was the challenge. And then we... Uh, We both, at the end of the conversation, have to try and identify which expressions the other one had prepared in advance. Okay, so try and use three idioms that you've prepared in advance and then try and guess um, uh, the three idioms that uh, the other one was using. That's what we're doing in this exercise. During the whole conversation, lots of idioms just came up naturally. 
In part one, as you heard, if you have heard part one, which you should hear before you hear this one, um, in part one, I went through a lot of those uh, idioms from part one. There were about 25 idioms in the first part, and I explained them all at the end. Do you remember all of those idioms? If you've heard part one, do you remember them all? Here's a quick reminder, uh, very quickly. Here are some of the idioms from last time. So we had to bring someone up to speed, to have beef with someone, to hold a grudge against someone, to, ha- to have a score to settle with someone, to jump the gun, to be the butt of the joke, uh, bad blood between people, to take something on face value, to be a piece of cake, uh, it's not my cup of tea, to hit the nail on the head, to stick out like a sore thumb, to shoehorn something in to do something on the spur of the moment, to be on the doorstep of somewhere, to be two or three sheets to the wind, to be half cut, to creep out of the woodwork, to feel a bit peckish, to be jaw-dropping or eye-opening, to shine a spotlight on something or someone, to call someone out for doing something, and finally, to slag someone off. So those were some of the expressions that came up in part one. Again, I explained all of those at the end of part one, so... If you haven't heard that yet, then go back and listen to the whole episode because you'll hear me uh, explaining those things, giving uh, examples and things. Only one of those idioms was actually prepared in advance. All the others just came up on the spur of the moment. So that means that in this episode, part two, there are still five more pre-prepared idioms left. And by the way, if you don't really understand the rules of the game, no, there's no problem. Just listen out for you know just enjoy the conversation and then also listen out for certain idiomatic phrases or just nice bits of vocabulary that will be explained later so having checked part two um this is the conversation you're going to listen to here having checked it i can tell you that there are about 18 idioms in total in this one So listen carefully to the rest of our conversation and try to spot expressions which you think might be the idioms that I will be defining later. Five of them were written down by us in advance and slipped into the conversation as part of the game. The others just happened naturally. Uh, There's also plenty more nice, useful vocab that you might not know coming up. So listen carefully. There's a lot to learn from this episode. Um, In terms of the topics in the conversation... Well, um, in this one, you'll hear us cover Andy's experience of being abused or angrily criticised on Twitter, um, all part of a misunderstanding. Um, We talk about my experiences of facing audiences as a stand-up comedian. We talk about how there's another Andy Johnson in London who also looks a bit like Moby in a way and who used to play football for England. That's another Andy Johnson. Uh, We talk about Andy's training for the upcoming London Marathon and the fact that he's being sponsored um, and he's giving the money away to a charity, which is very close to his heart. And also we then talk about the results of the idioms game. We kind of count the idioms at the end and uh, give our comments about the idioms that we noticed or or didn't notice and and the ones that uh, the other one was using. As I said, I'll also be explaining all the idioms and more vocabulary at the end of the conversation in the final part of this episode. So keep listening for some clarification of things that you might not 
uh, have understood or noticed. But now then, let's carry on with the conversation and hear about Andy's experience of facing criticism on Twitter because of a misunderstanding about his presentation about millennials in the workplace. And by the way, if you're thinking, wait a minute, millennials, millennials in the workplace, what is that? Or millennials in the workplace, that sounds interesting. Uh, For more information about Andy's talk on millennials, which um, he did um, at the IATEFL conference and a few other places, uh, for more information about that, and to find out indeed what millennials are, if you don't know, then let me recommend that you listen to episode 424 of this podcast, in which I spoke to Andy and his colleague Ben about that whole subject in more detail. And you can find the link for episode 424 on the page for this episode with all the other notes and stuff, all the vocab notes and things, or you can just find it in the episode archive. Okay, right then. So without any further ado, let's jump back into the conversation. And here we go. Did I tell you I got Twitter abused as well? You you mentioned it to me, but I didn't hear the full story. So you got abused on Twitter, did you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was it wasn't my fault. What happened is I was doing um, at the end of January. I was speaking at a conference on uh, for English UK, mm. and I was doing this millennials workshop that I think I've spoken about before on the podcast. And before I started, this guy came up to me and he said, "Do you mind if I live tweet your talk?" Live t- live tweet live tweet. Yeah. So it's quite it's quite common at conferences. So. When people are giving a talk, you've got people going, Andy Johnson just said this, and they put it on Twitter. Yeah. And according to Andy Johnson, and then that, I, I don't know why they do, but they do it. And this this guy was from uh, CUP, Cambridge University Press. Mm. So I was like, yeah, of course, I don't mind. Anyway, so I, I give my talk. It went well. It was really well received. And then I looked on Twitter, I think the next day, and there was a tweet from this guy who was who was live tweeting me and it said there was a picture of me doing my talk and it said according to andy johnson millennials are and then he had like a list it said lazy entitled (laughs) all these kinds of things and then underneath it said but the reasons are far more complex than that so he wasn't like criticizing me but what happened is a load of people read the tweet and said who is this guy to slag off a whole generation and it got really kind of uh heated yeah and to be fair to the the guy from cambridge who was doing the tweeting in the first place he was like oh no 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 i think you've misunderstood he was actually explaining the reasons why they are perceived to be all these things but he's explaining why they're actually not but by this time like about 20 people have kind of got involved in the conversation all of them slagging me off and they, they'd all got the wrong end of the stick yeah but yeah. they're all slagging amazing. you off kind of yeah what? like not some some of them more directly than others um but a, a lot of people are saying you know all this stuff is proved to be a myth and all that kind of stuff and others are like who is this guy in the with the bald head who looks like moby <laughs> <laughs> i didn't realize okay. moby was into the teffel industry <laughs> yeah so it it was just it was really eye opening. It was like really kind of um how quickly it can escalate, you know. Yeah. And how people latch on to something and they can completely turn it and twist it and look at it a different way. So for a while 
I was like public enemy number one in wow. the uh, in in the industry. So it was, it was really quite interesting. But how, how how did it feel to to receive all that sort of heavy handed criticism? Well, it was initially it was quite shocking because you're like, oh god, what what did I say? But then I re- then I realised what was going on, and and I was really I sent the guy a message actually the um, the guy from Cambridge who was whose tweet caused all the 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 the, the, the kerfuffle. There's a word for you. Yeah, all the, all the, and I was like thanking him for kind of sticking up for me, and he was just he was really apologetic that it had been taken in the wrong way. So at the time, it was a little bit unsettling. And but then, you know, then I thought, well, what is with these people who are sitting on a Saturday afternoon looking at Twitter Mm. and who are they to kind of criticize it? I think it reflects more poorly on them. It says a lot more about them than it does about anyone else. And I think that's kind of the issue with Twitter. And it has a real issue with bullying and the fact that it's so anonymous that people can do it. It's very dangerous because it's, first Mm. of all, it's sort of anonymous, or at least you wouldn't do that to someone's face because the normal social conventions dictate that you don't say such direct, you know, so such direct things. Yeah. But on online, on Twitter, people don't have that immediate kind of. filter that prevents them from saying things that could be very mm. hurtful and and possibly even wrong like in this case and yeah. so they just you know the anger just takes over and they just write something they also maybe think that it's um inconsequential they might think that just a little tweet doesn't really it's not really going to make that much difference it's just one little tweet in in you know the whole uh, avalanche of tweets that you get on mm. twitter so they don't feel much responsibility when they 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 write those messages but um it's pretty shocking and surprising when you receive something like that probably doesn't feel like much when someone writes uh, a very harsh comment like that but it certainly has a big impact on you when you read it it's it's true because because the thing about Twitter and, and, and things like that, if you're let's, let's compare it to Facebook, for example, or Instagram, if you're putting pictures of your family, your friends, your kids, then that's you're clearly it's very clear that you want to share that with people. Yeah. And, they, you know, no one's ever going to go, oh, what an ugly kid looks like a girl or anything like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just wouldn't do that. But there's something about when you're um, talking about a professional topic that really gets people they feel that they can pass judgment on you and particularly in academic you know, academia yeah. particularly with teachers and it's one of the worst things about the profession that you and I work in is that there's always people who are quick to criticize your standpoint your viewpoint and i face this a lot when i speak at conferences because i'm very much pro online learning and i'm very much i believe that it's the way our industry is going i think there will always be a place for teachers but the amount of suspicion that people like me are viewed with by traditional teachers who think that we're just out to take their jobs off them. And it's, it's, it's not like that at all, mm. but it, it's, it, it, there is something about this industry. I think Luke, that you really, if you, if you stand on a pedestal and you give your opinion on things mm. and you um, talk about anything with any degree of knowledge behind it, you're always setting yourself up for people to have a go at you. And I'm just surprised that it hasn't happened to me sooner, to be honest, because what I talk about is quite, um, can make some people feel quite uncomfortable and feel a little bit vulnerable about their profession. Yeah, It's not designed to, but I'm just saying you can't really ignore what's going on in the world. Because you're talking about change 
And, Talking about change, and, and nobody likes change. Pe- people often sort of react quite strongly to that, especially when it's posing some sort of threat to the status quo of their of their work. Yeah, yeah, especially and in you know, I suppose in in teaching people, after a while they kind of feel like they they understand what teaching is and and they want it to stay that way. And when new things come along, it's kind of sort of very inconvenient <laughs> mm. you know for many mm. teachers who feel like they've got their system down and then all these new things come along like these yeah. developments yeah. in technology which mean that yeah. it's suddenly it's all up in the air again it takes you a while to like uh learn how to teach or to be confident as a teacher and so yeah. people may feel like these new things are kind of taking like pulling the rug from under them you know it's like pulling the rug from under their feet in a way you must experience a lot of this through stand-up as well, because stand-up's even worse. If you're standing on stage trying to make people laugh, mm. you must you occasionally mean, get people who just think you're rubbish. You mean like hecklers? Yeah. Um, yeah, but um, actually not that much in France. It's slightly different here because the audience is usually 50% or more French, mm. and so they don't. I think they don't really feel like they're in a position to shout something out mm. um, at the comedian it's not really in the culture first of all so mm. heckling meaning listeners meaning like shouting something out um when someone's speaking publicly and a mm. member of the audience shouts something out it's it happens a lot in stand-up comedy it can happen in other situations too someone shouting something out probably quite critic some sort of criticism um so heckling is really normal in in stand-up in the uk and the usa where you get you know, it's often quite aggressive or hostile audiences. But in mm. France, it's it's sort of less like that. There's more of a theatre feeling to to, to mm. comedy shows here. So they don't have stand-up in the same way that we do in the UK. And so French audiences, uh, first of all, they probably wouldn't be that confident to do it in English, it being the second language. And secondly, it's just not really in the culture to shout something out at a comedian. Mm. And then you've got tourists or expats as well. It doesn't happen that much, actually. But I've had it in the UK where where people have shouted out stuff. But you see, in the context of a comedy show, somehow it's different because you, it, yeah. it, it, it's um, the whole reason that you're up there is you're just trying to make the audience laugh. And if there's someone heckling you, then they're just being a dickhead, you know. And everyone yeah. in the room knows it, unless you've done some, unless you've said something that's really out of order. Yeah. Unless you've made a joke about something that is obviously quite offensive, then most of the time people heckling are just sort of a bit drunk or they forget that there's a whole other room full of people there. And what normally happens is they'll shout something and you can't hear it because you're in the middle of saying something or, you know, you're up there and you, you get this muffled noise from somewhere in the room. And to be honest, as a comic, it's quite fun when something like that yeah. happens because you're yeah. like, what? Yeah. what was that? What, what did you say? Because yeah. you want to then explore what the person said and, and deal with it and it could turn into something funny and normally what happens is that you hear this kind of like that and you say what was that and then nothing they just disappear nothing. completely yeah you know yeah and, and actually if you if you um you, you can go down a real rabbit hole with this kind of stuff but you can google comedians dealing with hecklers and if we were talking about richard herring before there's one video you must have seen this yeah. one where there's this guy who's so drunk and it goes on for ages and he basically ruins the whole show. Yeah. And in the end, he gets taken out. But the way Richard Herring deals with him is, is really quite funny. And there's another very good one with um, Stuart Lee. So when when Luke and I were younger, I think at university, 
Stuart Lee and Richard Herring were a famous double act, or they were on TV quite a lot, and they've since split up, but they both have quite successful solo careers. But there's a really good video. You, you've probably seen it as well, Luke. I think he's, it's a guy that's asking him to change his whole show, or he's, or he's, that's how he's dealing with the heckler. Stuart Lee's like, well, you, you need to understand that I've written this whole routine. It goes on for two hours, and I'm afraid I can't create a bespoke version of it just to please you. Yeah. And he completely destroys this poor guy who was heckling him in the first what place. I quite like, very, very what I quite like about the way that Stuart Lee deals with a heckler. So the, the normal way that a comedian would deal with a heckler would be to kind of try and destroy them, to belittle them, to put them in their place and stuff. But Stuart Lee's approach is to be kind of really understanding yeah, and to be like, you know, just really trying to understand... Uh, what the person's problem is and just to be really understanding and to sort of say look you know I, I understand your grievance but there's really nothing that that we can do about that and I'm, I'm very sorry that you feel that way but there's you know really the 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 whole setup of this situation in this show just means that your your problem your grievance is, is not going to be solved I, i'm really sorry that your evening has been spoiled and trying to understand like the yeah. thought process behind this this thoughtless heckle because it's probably quite a thoughtless comment yeah. someone just saying something they're a bit drunk and they don't realize that it's a pointless thing to often to criticize someone's routine when it's yeah. you know it's been thought through and and uh, created in advance and he, and he starts saying as well, no, I appreciate you spent a lot of money to be here. But, you, you know, I've also I've got I've got a wife and I've got children and this is how I earn my living. <laughs> it's just not financially possible for me to create individual one to one shows. <laughs> it's very, very funny. Yeah, he, he kind of really respectfully responds to the, the heckle. Which yeah. is a new thing, really, because normally what comedians will do, someone like Jimmy Carr, for example, will sort of, de yeah, destroy the heckler. And and the audience often goes along with it because the audience don't like the heckler because they, they mm. feel the heckler is sort of spoiling the show. And so often the comedian will use the power of the audience to take mm. to take that person down. Yeah. Okay. So Richard Herring raised a uh, hundred thousand pounds on Twitter. Just what from from asking. Like who was who actually gave him the money? Was it these guys who, when they realised they were wrong, they were like, "Oh, all right, fair enough. Okay, I'll 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 uh, donate some money." Were, like the guilty kind of guys who felt ashamed. After I think maybe some of it, some of it might have come from them, but really, um, once people realised that he was doing, he was going to do this all day, they thought, "Yeah, I'll, I'll just give him twenty quid or something to support what he's doing." Mm. And he, he, I think he had about seven thousand people make donations. Wow! So he set up a just giving page, and so people can just make the donation really, really super quickly. And yeah, so it was a hundred thousand pounds. And once you add gift aid, it's one hundred thirty thousand pounds. Wow! So it's quite amazing. Gift aid. That's when the that's when the government subsidizes donations to charity, right? Yeah. So the way I mean, in the UK, gift aid. So I'm raising money at the moment for the, the London Marathon and gift aid allows if you're a UK taxpayer, um, then all of your donate. If you if you usually if you donate 10 pounds, then most of that goes to charity. But some of it is taxed. Mm. And this used to happen for years and years and years. And actually, it was really quite unfair that if I'm if I want to donate 10 pounds to a charity, that the whole 10 pounds doesn't go to that charity. So. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the government introduced this thing called gift aid, whereby as long as you give a few extra personal details about yourself, 
then the whole donation goes to the charity, which is is really really good. Mm, so, yeah, that is great. So you're you're raising money for the London Marathon. You're going to run the London Marathon then this year. I am. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I've got myself a tar- target of two thousand pounds to raise. Mm-hmm. Um, about I'm forty two percent there, so I've raised just under a thousand pounds so far. And it's interesting because I don't think, and perhaps I'm wrong, um, but I don't think that fundraising exists to the same level as it does in the UK in other parts of the world. And I'll tell you why, because when I was living in Sweden, um, they were completely not used to, I was raising money for, um, I, I went to China to do one of these charity treks along the Great Wall of China. And I was asking my Swedish friends to sponsor me and they're like, are you a doctor? Are you, is it, is it, you know, they didn't, they didn't understand why I would go and do that. And I was like, no, it's just a cause that I believe in. And by doing this event that you can support me by raising money, then that's how, you know, that's how we get there. Mm. So I don't, I don't know what it's like in other countries. I don't know whether charity exists to the same level as it does in the UK. I don't, I don't know. know. What's it like in I, France? I, of course, people are charitable, but mm. the, the, the thing is that we're talking about here is the culture of, doing a sponsored thing like yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. fundraising by doing a sponsored thing like for example often it's running a marathon or doing some sort of personal challenge and um, advertising it on facebook or with your friends and setting up a uh, gofundme account would, would it be gofundme or fundraiser what's the name of it just giving the, the, just, just giving. giving is the one that i use yeah just it's giving. the most popular one in the uk very popular fundraising website which allows people to collect money which they can then give to charity. Mm. So there is a culture of doing this sort of thing in the UK, definitely. I I don't see as much of that in France. Mm. Maybe it's just that I'm not aware of it, but um, I'm sure it is. I know that the French are actually very charitable people and there's a lot of um, charity work that goes on and mm. a lot of campaigning and, and things like that, but less of the kind of individual uh, fundraising events that yeah, individuals would yeah. do, like, for example, running a marathon. But it's definitely something I see from the UK all the time. In my Facebook yeah. feed, there's always someone who's doing something and raising money for some kind of cause. So, yeah, it's, I, I think it's very much part of the culture these days, these yeah. kinds of individual fundraising activities. Uh, this, the, yeah, this idea of sponsoring somebody, there's always got to be some element of hardship involved. Yeah, like a challenge. So, like a challenge, yeah. So, for example, doing a marathon or spending the whole day on Twitter correcting idiots, <laughs> as Richard Herring did. And it's, it's a difficult balance because, I mean, I've had people ask me for sponsorship so they can go and climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And I think, mm, really, I'd like to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. That sounds like a nice little holiday. But I guess it is quite tough. I think climbing Kilimanjaro is really tough. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. I think it's really hard. But the thing is that it costs quite a lot of money to go to Mount Kilimanjaro. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I guess the elements are here that it should be something that genuinely raises money for a good cause mm-hmm. and something something that involves personal challenge and difficulty. Mm. And so I think the Kilimanjaro thing is that although there is challenge and difficulty in there, it also in, would involve a nice traveling experience to another country which would probably be quite costly yeah so the the i think the ones that probably people will give money to without questioning it would be challenges local challenges Mm. um like for example running a marathon in your Mm. in your hometown 
So, right, when is it? April the something? April the 22nd. April so the 22nd. We, I think that's just over a month away. So four weeks, four mm. weeks on Sunday mm-hmm. it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Ready? I think so. I had an injury. My training went really well through the the end of last year, through Christmas. And then I went on a, I ran at the beginning of January, did 30 kilometers, which was good. It was great. Felt good. And then the day after my knee really began to hurt and it got worse and worse and worse throughout the week. So I couldn't run for five weeks. Had physio, had acupuncture. Whoa, really? Had, um, yeah, had ultrasound. The physio, actually, the guy I saw, he's just around the corner from me. He used to be the physiotherapist for uh, Fulham Football Club. Oh, really? And Fulham had a famous footballer, used to play for England as well, called Andy Johnson. That's right. So when my name popped up, he thought, is it is it the same guy? And then when I walked in, he kind of did a double take because Andy Johnson and I share physical similarities. We both look a bit like Moby. <laughs> doesn't actually, getting back to Twitter, doesn't that footballer follow you, Luke? Yeah, that's right. That was a really yeah. weird thing. So, yeah, so we, we're talking about the foot, the England footballer, Andy Johnson. Yeah. Who, not me. Who's not you, although he shares your name and he looks a little bit like you. So, yeah, he follows me on Twitter. So I was like a couple of years ago. I got a notification that someone had started following me on Twitter. I checked it out. It was Andy Johnson. I was like, oh, Andy's joined Twitter. I checked it out. It was the Andy Johnson, the footballer. Yeah. He's a professional footballer, played for England. Why is he following me on Twitter? It's weird, isn't it? Because really you and weird. I have done quite a lot of work together. Yeah. And you and I have, we've, we've presented together and that's been on Twitter. So whether he got sick of people, I, I don't know, whether he kind of saw that there was this connection between you and I. I think, thought, oh, maybe I should follow that guy. I think what it was is that maybe he's searched for himself in Twitter. Right, he's he's gone into Twitter and he's gone, oh, uh, I'll see who's talking about me. And he searched for Andy Johnson. And I've come up a few times because I've tweeted uh, with your name in my tweet a yeah. few times. Yeah. And there have been various connections, you know, on the World Wide Web between you and yeah. me. And so... I've come up in his search results probably quite high because I've yeah. tweeted about Andy Johnson quite a lot. And so he's gone, oh, this guy uh, is talking about me. I think I'll follow him. Big fan. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of a mover and shaker in the, in the world of football, this Luke he's Thompson. He's got a podcast about me. <laughs> yeah, You should was... do an Andy Johnson episode. You should get him on. Send him an email. Yeah, maybe I should. Interview him about his Fulham days. Ask him about his physio. The other Andy Johnson. Okay. So anyway, all right. So you had an injury. What? Where, had an sorry, injury. Wh- uh, where again? Wh- so uh, right knee. Right, right knee. knee okay. Sort of. So what it is for the runners out there? Because I know you've got a few runners who listen to you. You've got this thing called your IT band, and it's the big kind of thick muscle that runs down your thigh and across your knee. And what was happening is it was just tightening and tightening and tightening to the point where it was rubbing against my knee joint. So that's quite painful. Mm. So I had to have physio to just to loosen it out again. So I have to do, it's not something that's going to be completely healed until after the marathon and when I stop running for a while, but I can manage it with stretching and all that kind of stuff. But it took me out for five weeks. I couldn't run at all for five weeks. So I started again. I did a half marathon at the weekend. 
did a half marathon at Hampton Court Palace on Sunday. Nice. In the snow and the wind, and uh, it was freezing. Not, it was so cold. Not It nice. was fine. When you were running, it was fine. But by the time I finished, five minutes after finishing, I just really began to shiver. Yeah. I remember I was talking to my friend Ian, who's who I uh, did the race with, and we both got a coffee. And I was looking at him, and he was holding his coffee, and his hand was shaking so much that it was spilling all over him oh god it was, really it was just that cold it was horrible wow so well, uh, i guess the weather's going to be better by the time april comes around fingers crossed so if you had an injury uh yeah. on your right knee which is not completely healed when it comes to actually running uh the marathon isn't that going to cause you some trouble isn't isn't because you know any little problem like that gets um exacerbated when yeah. you're running a marathon right it's you worried yeah, about it possibly a little bit yeah a little bit i mean i'm more worried about the fact that i'm running 16 miles this weekend and then 20 miles the weekend after because those are my last two long runs and then if i get those two done then i've got three weeks just to rest up a little bit and begin to taper the training down a bit mm. ahead of the race so as long as i get through those two okay then i'll be in a way i don't mind if i get hurt on the day because I'll finish the race, whatever, even if I have to walk it, I'll still do it. Um, but I don't want to turn up on the day with an injury that's so bad that I can't run on it. Right. Uh, yeah. So I'm more concerned about the next two weeks. But it seems to be, touch wood, it seems to be okay. Touch wood. That wasn't one. No, no it wasn't, that wasn't, right wasn't one of the idioms. Um, when you actually do the marathon, do you eat in the morning? Do you have a full slap-up breakfast or is it just like a banana to keep the wolf from the door? bit of porridge banana honey that kind of stuff but you just get really hungry when you're doing it that's what that's the worst thing so wait so is it a full breakfast then to to start because i'm just trying i'm just yeah really yeah Yeah. okay i'm just thinking of running on a full stomach well the thing is they say that you as long as you give an hour before finishing breakfast and running you're fine but on the actual race day itself you need to leave the house really early to get to the race and then you've got to wait so it's usually at least two hours after finishing breakfast before you start running the challenge i think with the marathon is that you get hungry halfway through yeah so, so what you, you need to have a bit of you, chocolate yeah okay that kind of stuff uh-huh little like a bit of trail mix that kind of thing yeah that stuff jelly babes are good do you get nervous i will be for the marathon, yeah, because it's such a big event. And I've only ever done one full marathon before. I've done loads and loads of half marathons. I don't really get nervous about those anymore. But it's that fear of the unknown. It's that fear of, you know, I, I can do, I know I can run 20 miles, but can I do the last six? Yeah. What's so, it going to be like when you're 21 miles into it? What kind of condition will you be in? Probably crying, you know. <laughs> they'll scrape you off the tarmac at the end of it won't they um and what about adrenaline um yeah that's one of the challenges as well because one of the things about the marathon is it's such a good atmosphere and you have so many people cheering you and and like because i'll have my my name on my vest everyone's actually saying your name as well which is really cool Mm. and i think the challenge is when you start you just feel amazing and you just run really quickly so the challenge is that you go you go out too fast, and then you you after about six seven miles ten kilometers you're knackered because mm. you've just been going too fast. So one of the I remember when I did the marathon last time, my first two miles were like at a stupid pace. What fast? I, 
too fast yeah yeah because everyone's everyone's in the same boat they're all they've trained for all this time and they start and it's it's great and the atmosphere and the music and the noise and the camaraderie of running together everybody just goes off far too quickly yeah so i've got to try and just make sure i shuffle along and go slowly there's this thing in running called negative splits where if you do your race your perfect race is that you'll run every single mile at the same pace every single kilometer at the same pace but what you should really try and do is something called negative splits so that your second half is faster than your first half and it's really hard to do it's really really hard to do for all sorts of reasons but that's you know that's what i'll be trying to do on the 22nd okay um people listening might want to donate money to support you on this okay is that all right is that okay by you that would be very, very welcome. If anybody wants to sponsor me, I can I can send you the link. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you went to justgiving.com and typed in my name, I think you'll probably find a bunch of Andy Johnsons. But if I send you my the footballer, link, probably he's probably doing something, isn't he's, he? He's probably running the marathon, isn't he? Yeah. But yeah, but send, no, I, send me your link that, yeah. for, for just giving, and uh, if it's you know, you know, I might I might have some listeners who are up for supporting you. Can I ask uh, what the charity is that uh, you're going to give the money to? Yep, um, the, the charity, Andy, the Andy Johnson Foundation. Yeah, my holiday fund. <laughs> no, the uh, the charity is um, something that's very close to my heart. It's a hospital called the Christie. Mm. Uh, it's in Manchester where I grew up. And it's the it's Europe's leading research center into cancer and uh, treatments for cancer and ultimately finding cures for cancer. And it's when I was sick, when I was 21, that's where I had all of my treatment. And it's an amazing, amazing place. Um, And without going over a story that I've already told, it was if it weren't for the the doctors there and the 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 kind of um the kind of approach they take i i would i probably wouldn't be alive and i certainly wouldn't have my leg because my cancer was so rare that um it was so rare and so advanced that they had to really put me onto a very experimental course of treatment and i'm very aware that had i been in another part of the world even in another part of the country i may not have had such good treatment so this is the fourth or the fifth time I've raised money for them. It's it's a it's something that I will do for the rest of my life. I'll always raise money for them. So yeah, so that's the Christie in Manchester. Amazing, amazing place. Mm. Okay. So if you if you if you are happy, if you do want to sponsor me, that would be wonderful. All the money will go to them. It's on justgiving.com, I think. Com. Dot com. Justgiving.com. But otherwise there'll be um you, listeners you'll find the link on the page for this episode on my website and if you want to you can throw some money in andy's direction which will help to support the christie hospital which obviously is doing really really great work and very important stuff um all right mate well um good luck basically is good Thanks, luck mate. the right is good luck the right thing to say is it a question yeah. of luck uh yeah yes yeah. is. <laughs> is luck <laughs> involved I'm, in this it, I think so. I mean, the the main thing I'm worried about is is hurting myself. So if I don't hurt myself, then I'll consider that good fortune, good luck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever you do, it's common that in England we this is this is a free idiom. It's not one of my idioms, but you say uh-huh. when you're wishing someone luck, you say break a leg. Yeah, and that's absolutely not what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why do we say that? I know why we say that. It comes from show business. 
Yeah. And uh, so break a leg, that's what we normally say to someone who's about to go and do a performance, right? Yeah. It's like good luck for your show. Mm. And so it doesn't mean uh, this actually, I learned this on the podcast from one of my guests, uh, Ian Moore, who's a comedian who lives in France and he goes to London, he commutes. He told me this story. So um, it, it's, um, it doesn't mean to break one of your legs. Actually, the leg refers to a limb. Okay, so a limb is another word for an arm or a leg. But also a limb can be a large piece of wood, like a beam. Okay, and mm-hmm. so uh, limbs also would be like branches of a tree. We call them yeah. limbs as well. Yeah. Uh, so a large piece of wood can be a limb as well as an arm or a leg. And so um, uh, in comedy, when you have a really good show, you raise the roof, mm. right? The, the audience laugh and applaud so much that it's like the whole roof comes off the, the theatre or the building to raise the roof. And um, so break a leg means break a limb, meaning uh, break one of the wooden beams in the roof, which basically means I hope you have such a good show that the roof comes off, that you break the, the, the roof off. So that's what and break a leg means. And people say English is a complicated language. <laughs> I know. It's so simple. <laughs> it's so, it's so simple, simple, obviously. It's so well, simple. Well, thanks. Uh, I've learned something new today. That's yeah. good. Right then. Now, what about all these idioms? Did you idioms. manage to identify three idioms that I used? And which, yes. which of the idioms, which idioms did you think were pre-planned? So tell me the ones that you heard and then tell me the ones that you think were pre-planned. Right. I, well, I've only written down the ones that I think were pre-planned. Okay. Um, and I only got two. Oh, really? So the ha- first one I got was two sheets to the wind. Two sheets to the wind was one I used, but was not planned. It was improvised. So, okay. sorry, we're going to have to clarify what two sheets to the wind means. It, it was used in reference to the drunk Santa Claus uh, who mistook your son for a girl. Yes. Maybe because he had uh, been drinking. He yes. was two sheets to the wind. So two sheets to the wind is just a fairly funny expression, I suppose, that means a little bit drunk. Does it mean a yeah. bit drunk or very drunk? I think it means a little bit drunk because it came in the context of something that I said, yeah. which also meant the same thing, which perhaps you wrote down as one of my idioms. Um, yeah, I, I'll come back to that. So I did. I okay, did hear, we'll come back to that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. half cut. Yeah, half cut. I wrote yeah, that so one down. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, it means the same thing. Half cut, two sheets of the wind. But half cut wasn't one of my written down idioms. Mm. Okay. Well, we've got. Um, it just means drunk. Yeah. So it it, it, it can be a little bit drunk or it's just drunk. So it's 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 not an extreme it doesn't mean extremely drunk, it just means drunk. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I wrote down so you wrote down two sheets to the wind. I don't know why we say two sheets to the to the wind. Um, I don't know. I can I can very briefly find out. Oh, I say very very briefly. There is a uh, an explanation um on the internet but it's far too long for me to go into now but i will link uh to it in the uh in the um on the website on the okay. on the page for this episode so the other one i got and i'm fairly confident about this one it was to pull the rug from under you no no oh. that was improvised as well Ooh. sorry you're good at this game well i i've actually found it really really hard to insert my idioms in there but yeah, to, no, to pull the rug from from under someone's feet. No, that was improvised. Do you remember how that was used? I can't remember. I can't remember the context in which I used that one to pull pull the rug from from under someone. Uh, but it essentially means to. 
Oh, how would you describe what that means? It means to 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 do something that exposes someone or puts them in a difficult situation or leaves them um, defenseless, if you like. Yeah. So if someone is, if you can imagine, literally, someone standing on a rug. A rug is like a a carpet which you put in the middle of the rooms. It's not attached. It's just a carpet that you can roll up or mm. roll out onto the floor. And someone's standing on the rug and you pull the rug really quickly from under their feet, it would cause them to lose balance and maybe fall over. So if you can think of you know, that expression when you do something else that causes someone to maybe yeah, find themselves in a difficult situation or mm. uh, um, cause someone to have a, have a problem, you could say you pulled the rug from under their feet you made life suddenly very difficult and complicated for them yeah but no that wasn't that wasn't one of the ones that uh, i had pre-planned sorry so what were your three because i've got zero so my three were uh, one of them was uh, to get the wrong end of the stick i don't remember you saying so that. i think this is what santa um uh, either santa who or andy johnson or, the footballer. or or maybe andy johnson the footballer he got the wrong end of the stick thinking i was talking about you and uh, I, uh, thinking I was talking about him when actually I was talking about you, so he got the wrong end of the stick. Santa got the wrong end of the stick because he thought that your son was a girl. Yeah, and so also he got confused. The guy at Notting Hill Carnival got the wrong end of the stick because he thought that you looked like um, uh, Fat Boy Slim when in fact it was Moby. Mm. Is that, okay. does that count as getting the wrong end of the stick? Basically, to misunderstand the situation yeah. is to get the yeah. wrong end of the stick. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. so that was one. I missed that one. Um, the other one that I used was um, to be a dead ringer. I don't remember you saying that either. I must have subtly slipped it in there without you noticing. To be a dead ringer for someone. I think I said I thought, that you're a bit of a dead ringer for Moby. For Moby. <laughs> so people could probably work out what that means from the context. If mm-hmm. you're a dead ringer for someone, you, you look very similar or you look alike. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's it's a nice one. A dead ringer for to be a dead ringer for someone. It means you yeah. look exactly like um, that person. Apparently, according to Wikipedia, it means an exact duplicate, and it derives from the nineteenth century, uh, from nineteenth century horse racing slang for a horse presented under a false name and pedigree. Okay. A ringer was a late nineteenth century term for a duplicate usually with implications of dishonesty. And dead, in this case, means precise. For example, we say you're dead right, or it was in the dead centre. So dead can mean precise or exactly right. So a dead ringer means an exact duplicate. Okay. Okay, So, But we'd say you are a dead ringer for someone. And then the third one that I used was uh, to keep the wolf from the door. But you didn't hear that one either, did you? I think I did. We're talking about running the marathon. Running the marathon when I got hungry, yeah. I said, you know, what do you eat? Do you eat a full slap-up breakfast or just a banana to keep the wolf from the door? I so, And to keep the wolf from the door, folks, it means when you eat something just to prevent yourself from getting too hungry. So it's not to have a full meal, but maybe in the afternoon, if you're feeling a bit peckish, feeling a bit hungry... Uh, you might have a little snack just to keep the wolf from the door, just to prevent yourself from getting too hungry. But it's not for when you eat a full meal. It's normally for when you have a little snack just to uh, get rid of feelings of hunger until you can eat later on, to keep the wolf from the door. Okay. 
All right. Well, I'm not very good at this game. Well, so looked, if, this, if this were a penalty shootout, you'd only need to score one to win now. That's right, because you got, you got nothing on that round there. Nor out of three. Yeah, zero out of three there. But um, let's see how I get on. Um, now, I'm, I'm 100% English, so if this is a penalty shootout, then don't get your hopes up. Or, uh, You've got to get one right, or I this should, is the worst game ever. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Um, okay, so I think you said uh, it's the cross I bear. It's the cross I bear, um, uh, meaning your resemblance to a certain music producer from the United States. Um, it's the cross I bear. Is that was that one of the ones you had pre-planned? Back of the net. Yeah. Okay, yep. so I got one right. So what does that mean then? It's the cross I bear. It's not too difficult to explain, I suppose. No, I guess it's biblical, isn't it? It relates to Jesus and having... When you say the cross I bear, it's like the, the, the burden that you have. It's something that you have to live with. Uh-huh. I was using it in a very kind of irreverent way, very lighthearted way. Yeah. But, you know, the fact that I'm often mistaken for Moby is the cross I bear. It's just something that you have to put up with and accept. It's the burden that you the carry burden. through your the life. The burden that you carry through your life, In yeah. this, it, you know invoking or evoking the uh, story of jesus where he carried the cross Absolutely. Uh, and so uh, yeah it's the cross i bear okay a lot of our idioms come from the bible it doesn't really say it, it, whether you're religious or not a lot of our idioms a lot of our language is influenced by the bible yeah that's, that's right you know this the uh, alanis morissette yeah What's that song? And I'm here to remind you <laughs> of the mess you left when you went away. Um, there's a misheard lyric with that song. She goes, uh, "I'm here to remind you of the cross I uh, the the cross I bear that you gave to me." Yeah, right. And it sounds like she's singing the cross-eyed bear that you gave to me. Uh-huh. I'm here to remind you of the cross-eyed bear that you gave to me. I'm always <laughs> I always imagine that like her boyfriend gave her a like a partially sighted bear it probably explains why she's so angry yeah I'd, I'd be angry if i was left with a, a half blind bear like what's what this is no use to me <laughs> can't even watch tv with him no he can't even go out and find honey he can't see the honey you can smell it can't see it driving and- him mad he's getting really angry But it wasn't a cross-eyed bear. It was the cross I bear that you gave to me. Um, all right, that was the, that was the first one. The second one, I think, was actually the phrase "half cut." Nope, no, that wasn't one. Ah, damn, missed. Just I just pitched that one way over the bar, didn't I? Yeah, I just did a crisp, of, yeah, bit of crisp, 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 crisp Italian waddle. ninety. Yeah, um, half cut to be half cut means drunk. Yes, to that's be right. quite drunk to be half cut. Okay. And then we've got to slag someone off. No. No? No, that wasn't it either. Was that the Twitter conversation? Because there was an idiom from the Twitter conversation. In the Twitter conversation, you were talking about how people had abused you on Twitter and you said that they slagged you off. To slag you were someone very, off. You were, you were very close. To slag someone off is to, to criticise them, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Or in quite quite insulting way. But actually what I said during that conversation was my second idiom. Yeah. Which is I said that when you stand on a pedestal, Yes, I wrote it down, but I, I, I just thought it was one that you'd used on the spur of the moment. Yeah, stand on a pedestal. 
Well, the actual the actual idiom is to put someone put someone or something up on a pedestal, and it's to it's. I guess what it means is when you, um, if you if you put someone on a pedestal, you think that they're amazing, and you behave as though that person or person or or, or object rather is perfect, extraordinarily wonderful, or better than others. But the way I used it is to put your to stand on a pedestal means to to stand up in front of people and talk. Yeah. So you you kind of expose yourself to criticism or any kind of reaction. I guess we've got two expressions there then really. We've got to, yeah. uh, to put someone on a pedestal. And a pedestal is like something that you would use to present maybe like a very valuable statue or a very yeah. valuable vase or something like that. Like if you go to the Louvre, the, the museum, and you'll see, for example, old uh, Greek or Roman statues, yeah. uh, they're often presented on, on pedestals. Like the statue yeah. of David, for example, it probably stands on a pedestal, I, I, I would expect. It's like a raised thing that allows you to see it. So if you put something on a pedestal, it's like saying, it's, this is a wonderful, amazing thing, mm. putting, putting someone on a pedestal. And for you, what you said was to stand on a pedestal. Yeah, exactly. To kind of um, put yourself in a position in front of everyone, um, um, yeah, in which you're kind of exposed and you, you might get uh, yeah. uh, criticised maybe or, there, or something. Well, I think there is a connection between them because even though you don't think you're amazing or anything like that, but if you're standing on a pedestal, it means that you are giving your opinions on something, which therefore suggests that you have something interesting to say. Right. So that, I think that's where the connection between the two comes. But you didn't get that one. No, so. didn't get that one. Um, what is that? The it, third... Then? Yeah, no, there was one more which I, I used it very near the beginning, and that was jaw dropping or to make your jaw drop. Uh, I didn't get that one. I wrote down eye opening. You said something was really eye opening. Yeah, you know, like something that makes you realise something. Wow. I think I, that was in the same. Uh, that was the same part of the conversation. I think when we were talking about eye opening and jaw dropping. I can't remember why in what the context was. Now I think it was. Um, it might have been the twitter it might have been when we we're talking about kids clothes but yeah jaw dropping it's just if you imagine that something is so astonishing or surprising that your mouth just hangs open ah oh. yeah 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 exactly your jaw your jaw which is like the bottom part of your head yeah which your chin is attached to your jaw just your jaw uh, opens like huh, what wow jaw dropping okay so we had um uh, to be a dead ringer for someone to get the wrong end of the stick uh, what else? What was the other one? I used? To keep the wolf from the door, to be half cut. Um, no, that wasn't one. Oh, no, the, the cross I bear. Yeah. To stand on a ped- pedestal and yep. jaw dropping. There we go, folks. You also said to cause a kerfuffle, which is like a kerfuffle is like a sort of a, a fuss or a difficult situation. Yeah. Um, you said it's a minefield, meaning um, something that can cause you lots of problems. Yeah, it's a very difficult area. It's like it's it's a very complicated topic. Is it? if it's a minefield, it's a very complicated topic. You were talking about um, having socks with days of the week on them. It's a minefield yeah. because the the potential for getting yeah. all the socks mixed up is very high. It's just going to cause you lots of problems. Like, yeah. Oh God, I've got like a Tuesday sock on my left foot and I've got a Friday sock on my right foot. Nightmare. This is a nightmare. Um, mm. And to slag off a whole generation—that's what you were accused of. Yeah, they were slagging you off for slagging off a whole generation to criticize a whole generation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it's interesting this game because for 
a native English speaker, you don't realise how often you use these. And you don't, you, it, they're very difficult to actually listen out for idioms because you're so conditioned to hear them. Mm. And it's only, it's only when you kind of telegraph it, if you like, you make it really clear that you're about to use an idiom. That's the only way you could kind of yeah. guess what it was. I found that very, very difficult. And in a way, they, only, they, they work best when they are not fully telegraphed. I mean, they yeah. work best when they're not, when it's not that obvious that you've used mm. it. And I find when you use an idiom in a very obvious way, like, hey, everybody, I'm using an idiom now. Mm. Uh, then it's it, raining cats and dogs outside. It, exactly. Well, it's certainly raining cats and dogs, isn't it, everybody? Somehow that feels a bit uh, unnatural and a bit awkward and sort of mm. cheesy. And It's really tricky for learners of English to get this right because yeah. what you, you often meet like learners of English who have done really well and they've learnt loads of idioms and then they just become like idiom machines. Yeah, and, and then they begin to sound really unnatural as a result. That's right. The, mm. that you, idioms are tricky because they're best used um, sort of sparingly, I reckon. So when yeah. you do learn lots of idioms, don't try and fill every single conversation full of idioms because you're going to sound a bit odd. But get a couple of them, get a couple of nice ones and use them sparingly rather than all the time. The thing about idioms, and I think I may have even said this on the podcast before, I can't remember. So forgive me if I'm repeating myself. They're so they're the part of language that's most directly related to culture. Mm. So every language has idioms of some form or another, but they're the kind of like the, the, the hardest thing to get right because they are like to give you an example we say in english we say i'm all at sea Maybe which I'm means sorry. i'm i'm kind of I'm, I'm i've got too much to do i'm all at sea i'm confused i don't know where to start and my mum who's swedish she said i'm sitting in the lake <laughs> and it's an idiot it's an idiom with the set more or less the same meaning and um the reason they say that is in England or Britain, rather, it's an island. So when we go to the water, we need to go to the sea. That's our nearest sort of stretch of water. Yeah. Whereas Sweden's called the land of a thousand lakes or ten thousand lakes. So when you go swimming, you go to a lake rather than the well, in at least in for many many people. Yeah. And I was talking about this with my students once, and I got them all to think about whether they had that idiom in their own language. And one by one, they're like, "Oh yeah." There's a guy from Saudi Arabia who goes, "It means I, we say I'm lost in the desert." Mm. And it's amazing how you can tie it back to the culture of a place. It yeah. doesn't always work, but, you know, it, more often than not, the idioms will exist. It's just slightly different according to the culture that you're in. That is very interesting. I wonder, just picking one idiom out, I wonder what the different versions around the world are of to keep the wolf from the door. Because that's quite a nice one. Mm. Quite like Because it kind of tells a story, doesn't it, of, you know, uh, the wolf in this case is your hunger. And you're trying to, you know, stop the wolf from getting in. And I wonder what people say about that. Do you, ha do you have idioms around the world for ways of staving off hunger? Like just having a little snack to keep the wolf from the door. What's the equivalent in your countries? I wonder if that reflects, you know, any, any differences in the, in the culture or things like the wildlife or whatever. Mm. Interesting stuff. Andy, thank you so much for talking to me on the podcast Again, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. Good luck again for the marathon in April. Thanks, yeah. and uh, and speak to you again soon. I hope. Cool. Yeah. Maybe right. I'll check. Maybe I will. I'll talk to you 
after the marathon perhaps yes that would be good you can give us a little report on what happened and how it went and uh i'd love to know i'd I'd like to have like a mile by mile account (laughs) (laughs) i'll run with a microphone and just it will it will be fine for the first few miles it'll be quite interesting but then it'll just be (sighs) me (sighs) yeah exactly (sighs) why did i do this Uh, (laughs) yeah so there are law of diminishing returns there yes i think so okay well anyway we we look forward to hearing about uh, the whole thing later on at some point great thanks very much for having me thanks mate Cheers. Cheers, Luke. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. English. 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 Yes. English. 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 English, dude. English. 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 Plain English, creep. Speak English. 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 I'm speaking in English. So there you go. That was my chat with Andy Johnson with the Idioms game in there too. Uh, lots of uh, nice language to be learned and some good listening practice as well. Um, now, if you would like to sponsor Andy and help to support the work of the Christie Foundation Trust and the, the good things that they're doing, you can if you want to. And you'll find um, uh, a link on the page for this episode on my website that will take you to Andy's Just Giving page. It's justgiving.com slash fundraising slash Andy B. Johnson. But check the page for this episode. You'll see the link if you would like to support Andy in his marathon and give some money to the Christie Foundation Trust. Okay. Now then, you heard us at the end there going through some of the idioms that we thought the other one had pre-planned. And in fact, the ones that we had pre-planned and you got like uh, expressions like two sheets to the wind to pull the rug from under you, to get the wrong end of the stick, to be a dead ringer for someone, to keep the wolf from the door. It's the cross I bear, to be half cut and to slag someone off. And also uh, to stand on a pedestal, to put someone on a pedestal and to be jaw dropping. Um, so you've, you've already heard us explaining some of those things and talking about them a little bit more. Um, I want to just wrap things up here at the end by explaining... Uh, more of the idiomatic expressions that popped up in this conversation uh, in part two uh, that haven't been explained yet and also some other nice bits of vocab so this is where we focus on language that you heard in that conversation but you might not have either either you might not have noticed the phrases or maybe you don't know what the phrases mean or maybe you notice them but you know it would be nice to just have a nice little reminder for some of those things so i've made another list here of of phrases idioms and other nice bits of language i'm going to go through it now uh you'll see this list on the page for the episode this list does contain uh the other expressions that andy and i talked about at the end of the conversation there but a lot more too So if I'm repeating myself here, I do apologise, but I think also it's probably quite good to just reinforce, um, you know, the the language for you a bit more. So we'll start with uh, the expression a dead ringer, which is something I actually forgot to mention. It came up in part one, I think, when I said that Andy was a bit of a dead ringer for Moby, which is, you know, we keep going on about this. Um, But uh, yeah, a dead ringer. You actually heard me explain it, I think. a dead ringer is just someone uh, who looks exactly like someone else. So to be a dead ringer for someone means that you look exactly like someone else. Um, next thing is, uh, I said, they'd all got the wrong end of the stick, but they were all slagging you off. To get the wrong end of the stick means to just misunderstand the situation. 
Um, I think you've got the wrong end of the stick. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. You've got the wrong end of the stick, mate. Um, all right. And then to slag you off, well, I, I think I did that one in the last episode. Slagging someone off means to criticize someone in a rude way. Um, next, we had, it was really eye-opening to uh, how quickly it can escalate and how people can latch on to something and they can completely turn it and twist it. So Andy there is talking about how... Um, when people sort of get a certain idea about something, you know, when they've just received a, a small piece of information, they um, immediately latch onto it and sort of turn it and twist it and, and the situation escalates and gets suddenly, suddenly gets more and more serious and out of control. So f- this is how, for example, um, sometimes uh, things kind of go wrong on Twitter. So you might find that a celebrity writes a, a tweet um, and it's not meant to be taken too seriously, but then people maybe take it on face value and they find it offensive. And then it sort of snowballs into a much bigger thing. And then before you know it, like a, a, a lot of people are giving this person loads of abuse and it's like really unbalanced and unfair and actually very damaging and, and uh, not really proper justice. Um, so, you know, that's what Andy was talking about. It's really eye opening to see that. Um, if so, if something's eye opening, as I said before, it's surprising and it's something that you can learn from. It's like, wow, like it's surprising and you, you learn something new from it. And also jaw dropping as well. If something's jaw dropping, it's kind of amazing or, or astonishing, as we said before. But also you've got the expression there, people can latch onto something. Um, uh, to latch onto something, L-A-T-C-H, means to become firmly attached to something and it could be physically or it could be um, like non-physically as well. So physically, to become firmly attached to something. Actually, most doors have a latch on the door. So when you, when you close the door, click. You know, when it goes click, that's the latch clicking into place. So, you know, that's a, la- a physical latch, which allows the door to become physically firmly attached to the door frame so that it, it doesn't open. Um, that's um, the door becomes latched to the wall, for example. But also in other senses, you can be latched, you can latch on to something. So it could be for an idea. So people can latch on to an idea. And if they latch onto an idea, it means they get they strongly accept an idea with enthusiasm. They just kind of get fixed uh, on one idea very quickly and firmly. Like, for example, if they get you know in this in Andy's case, they thought that he was saying they thought he was criticizing millennials. He wasn't. He was just reporting what other people had said about them. Um, but people got the wrong end of the stick. And they suddenly got, they suddenly latched onto this idea that Andy was like this anti-millennial guy. And then the floodgates opened and they just kind of, um, there was lots of abusive uh, uh, tweeting in his direction, you see, because lots of people just latched onto this idea. They got, they got quickly fixed on this idea. Um, I think I said, how did it feel to receive all of that heavy handed criticism? Okay, so heavy handed is an adjective and um, heavy-handed means that it's too strong or using too much force than is uh, using more force than is necessary. For example, you might talk about heavy-handed policing. The police were a bit heavy-handed in the way that they dealt with the um, the demonstration. That there was like, let's say, a public demonstration in the street. Let's say young people had taken to the street and they were demonstrating against the government or something, and the police came out to try and 
keep the crowd of people under control and they they got a bit heavy-handed and they ended up sort of hitting some of the protesters and there was violence and it became quite ugly because the police were very heavy-handed similarly i said about the the abuse or criticism that andy had received on twitter that it was all a bit heavy-handed like it was all a bit too strong really uh, more using more force than was necessary heavy-handed criticism um next thing is i think andy said this he said, I sent the guy a message, the guy whose tweet caused the kerfuffle. A kerfuffle. It's a nice word. A kerfuffle. K-E-R-F-U-F-F-L-E. A kerfuffle is basically a disturbance, like a fuss. Could be a noise or could just be a confusing and complex situation. For example, if you send an email to all the people in your office and the email contains something controversial, or maybe you're criticising someone, and everyone gets a bit angry, and it causes a kind of a, a bit of a conflict, and there's a fuss, and everyone's talking about it, it caused a kerfuffle. For example, she caused quite a kerfuffle when she sent out that letter accusing them of cheating. Or maybe it could be like you're in a restaurant and you've ordered food and the, and the food is not how you like it. Maybe there's a fly in the, there's an insect in the food or something and you complain very loudly and you cause a big kerfuffle and, you know, the waiters come out and they all apologise and all the other people in the restaurant are looking over. Oh, what's going on over there, darling? You know, there was a big kerfuffle. Um, okay, fine. Next thing is, um, Andy said, I was thanking him for sticking up for me. I think he was talking about the guy who wrote the original tweet that caused the misunderstanding. And uh, apparently Andy noted that this guy was actually sticking up for Andy. So to stick up for someone means to defend uh, someone, to defend someone or to back someone up. Okay. Like, for example, like, uh, I know, I'll stick up for you. I'll stick up for you, meaning I'll defend you. Like, they all disagree with you, but, you know, don't worry, I'll stick up for you. I've got your back. I'll back you up. I'll defend you. I'll stick up for you to stick up for someone. Okay? Remember, you can see all of the stuff that I'm saying, all the list, the list of all of the expressions and stuff. You can see it all on the page for this episode if you want to make a note of these things. Um, next one, Andy, I think, said, if you stand on a pedestal and give you... If you stand on a pedestal and give your opinion on things, you're always setting yourself up for people to have a go at you. So we talked about to stand on a pedestal, okay? Um, that means to like to, to you know, not not literally stand on a pedestal. A pedestal would be like a a raised platform, like for example, um, um, in a in a museum. You might have a, you know, like an old Roman statue would probably stand on a pedestal. So it's like a raised platform for displaying something. So if you stand on a pedestal, it doesn't mean literally standing on a pedestal. That's why it's an idiom. It means to just put yourself in a in a position, um, like a, a visible position where other people can see you and maybe criticise you or whatever. In, this, in, in Andy's case, he was doing a presentation that was being live tweeted. So... To, put, to stand on a pedestal is to put yourself in a position in front of everyone. And I said, uh, Andy said, if you if you stand on a pedestal and you give your opinion on things, you're always setting yourself up for people to have a go at you. If you set yourself up for something, you put yourself um, you put yourself in a position where something can happen. Okay, set yourself up for success, which means you know put yourself in the right position in which success can happen to you. 
Okay, for example, setting yourself up for success could involve working hard or getting into the right, um, you know, getting the right qualifications or meeting the right people, putting yourself in the right position in which success can happen, setting yourself up for success. Uh, you could set yourself up for a fall, you know, like if if you see someone and you look at their behavior and you think, oh dear, this that person is going to fail or something bad is going to happen to that person. You could say, you know, I just think you're setting yourself up for a fall. Like, for example, someone who, um, I don't know, is going to give a public presentation about a uh, dodgy topic. What was the one from the previous episode? Going to give a talk to a Catholic girls convent school about... um, uh, about contraception or something. Uh, it's a slightly dodgy example. Maybe I shouldn't mention that one again. Um, I wouldn't want to set myself up for a fall. Hey, there you go. Um, I don't know. Like if you if you're going to publicly, oh, I'm trying to think of a good example of set yourself up for for a fall. Um, right, here's one. Imagine um, your friend has managed to convince a girl to go on a date with him okay now he is absolutely obsessed with this girl he he he's in love with her she isn't really in love with him in fact she's way out of his league she's much prettier probably much more intelligent basically just much you know much um much too good for him frankly you wouldn't say that to him of course because that would make him feel bad but i mean you know she's she's out of his league and he's completely obsessed by her and he somehow has managed to persuade her to go on a date with him. Maybe she doesn't realise it's a date. And he is now building himself up. He's setting himself up as if this is the beginning of, you know, a proper relationship with this girl. And that, you know, this is it. And uh, they're going to get married. You know, so he's like, he's like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I've been waiting for this moment for so long. It's going to be so it's going to be so great. I don't know why he became Donald Trump. It's going to be so great. I've been waiting for this situation for for totally ages. I'm going to be president. It's going to be a huge success. Believe me, folks. I know about being president. I've been watching Barack Obama. He's terrible. Okay, he's the worst president in presidential history. I'm going to be a lot more popular. My ratings are going to go through the roof. Okay, I'm going to be the greatest president ever in the whole world. Um and, you know, Trump's friend will be like, eh, careful, because, you know, you might be setting yourself up for a, for a fall there. You know, believe me, the world is going to love Trump. They're going to, I'm I am going to make America great again in the eyes of the world. And, eh, you know, just steady on there, Donald. You know, don't set yourself up for a fall. Thing is with Donald Trump that he probably, you could probably never convince him that he'd had a fall. Even if he had literally fallen over. If he'd fallen off a off a off a horse, and he's like he's literally like broken his back, and he's lying in the mud on the floor with a broken back, and you're like Donald, you've fallen off a horse. I've not, you know, this is great. This is fake news. I have not fallen off a horse. Um, yes, the 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 um the impression went a bit wrong there. Um, it's fake news, folks. It's sad. <laughs> I totally chose to be here. This is great mud. Believe me. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking this mud is dirty. It's disgusting. This is American soil. I love my country. You know, um, 
Anyway, so this guy, going back to this friend of yours who has convinced himself that this girl who's way out of his league um, is is going to fall in love with him. And you're like, mate, you know, don't worry, you're going to get his... I'm worried about Dave. He's going to get his heart broken. He's setting himself up for a fall here. Okay, that's to set yourself up for a fall. Uh, what about to set yourself up for people to have a go at you? This is what Andy did. You know, he put himself on a pedestal. He set himself up for people to have a go at him. He put himself in a position where people could criticise him, you see. And then we talked about um, doing stand-up. And Andy was like, what about when you do stand-up? You're literally standing on stage. And uh, so you're setting yourself up for a fall, potentially. You're setting yourself up for criticism. Um, yeah. And then and then that's when we talked about heckling. Um, people in the audience might, uh, might heckle you, meaning kind of uh, publicly criticize you like oh you're rubbish you're you, tell us a joke come on that sort of thing um all right i'll come back to heckling anyway that was to set yourself up for something you could set yourself up for success or set yourself up for a fall okay um also we had to stand on a pedestal we also had to put something on a pedestal or put someone on a pedestal if you put someone on a pedestal it means you admire or respect someone so much that you think they're perfect or you idolize them or you idealize them so they're like you know untouchable and perfect like you know i imagine um some of the voters in the united states i mean well bit of politics watch out but i think it's probably true I mean, it's not just for Donald Trump. It could be for anyone. That there's always like a new candidate who comes along, and they speak in the right way to the to the to certain people, and those people then put that person up on a pedestal, and they're like, uh, you know, uh, you know, I love Trump. I think he's great. He's going to make America great again. And it's like, well, well, what about all of the criticism that people have leveled at him? That you know, he's a misogynist, and and that um, uh, all these other things, which I'm not really going to go into now because I don't want to get into the politics. But you know, he's faced a. a lot of criticism like the fact that he doesn't really know what he's doing and that he doesn't really care and in fact you know some people have said that he's in fact incompetent and that there's you know allegations of corruption there as well and the 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 person be like you know i think it's all fake news i i think that the 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 mainstream media are just making all this stuff up about him they just need to leave him alone he's going to make america great again um and they're just like well you know i think that you're just sort of putting him up on a pedestal really um okay to put someone on a pedestal similarly dave with this girl he's put her up on a pedestal as well it's like she's believe me she's like the perfect girl he's like a british a british donald trump Believe me, she's the perfect girl. If Tr- if Trump had a British accent, what would that be like? Um, believe me, folks, I'm going to make Britain great again. He's become Michael Caine. Believe me, I'm going to make Britain great again. It's, this is a bloody great country. I'm going to make it b- great again. And if you don't believe me, then you can sit down and shut your mouth. You're only supposed to make this country great again. Mm, all right leave it luke okay i'll leave it then anyway to put someone on a pedestal um next thing is people react quite strongly to that especially when it's posing some kind of threat to the status quo of their work so to pose a threat to something it's not really an idiom but it's a nice expression it's a collocation really to pose a threat uh, if something poses a threat to something, it means that it's um, it is a threat, or to present a possible danger, 
to something. Like, for example, carbon emissions pose a significant threat to global warming. It's totally fake news, people. It's fake news. Global warming, it's a total myth. Um, okay, Donald. All right, that's your opinion. It's not just an opinion. It's it's a fact, 100% verifiable fact. All right. Go, can you just go away, Donald Trump, for a bit? Thanks. Um, not, not, you know, not for political reasons, but just because the impression is not... It's uh, Anyway, maybe I should just bring Arnold Schwarzenegger back in and that'll make... Oh, no, there you go, fine. Okay, that's how. That's the, the quick a quick Arnold Schwarzenegger impression, like the mini impressions. They're quite fun. Arnold Schwarzenegger impression, mini one. Oh, anyone can do it. Donald Trump mini impression. Believe me, folks, I'm going to make it. You know, just say everything's great. With Donald Trump, you just say it's totally great. It's the greatest thing ever. And believe me, I know. That's how you do it. Like pick a thing. Like the, you're, you've got an apple. You're about to eat an apple. It's totally the greatest fruit. It's the first fruit. It's the first word in the alphabet, the apple. It's the, it's the best fruit, especially American apples. Believe me, folks, I know fruit. Um, uh, Obama, like the quick Obama impression. You just have to say the words today very quickly and then leave a long pause after it. So let's say it's today I'm going to eat an apple. You, be, you just have to go today. And that's it. I told you, it's a short impression today. Okay. Back to the uh, idioms and stuff. To pose a threat to something. The status quo. The status quo is uh, means the present situation. It doesn't. It's not just that rock and roll band that you've probably never heard of, and so it's probably not worth me mentioning it. The status quo means the present situation. We were talking about um, some, if something poses a threat to the status quo of your work. So we're talking about some teachers, they see technology as, as posing a threat to the status quo of their work. So the technology, to an extent, for some teachers, uh, makes them feel vulnerable or it, it, it feel, makes them feel like uh, their work is changing, like the the status quo of their work, the current situation of their work is changing it's like and they suddenly they have to start dealing with all this new technology and it is changing the marketplace as a teacher and some people don't like that okay uh people might feel like these new things are pulling the rug from under them i did explain that before i think it's like pulling the rug from under their feet so to pull the rug from under someone means to suddenly take away uh support or help from someone imagine you're standing there on a rug and someone suddenly whoop, pulls it away, suddenly the ground underneath you is unstable and you might fall on the ground. So it's to suddenly do something that causes problems for people. Foom, whip the rug or pull the rug from under your feet. Whoa! Heckling. There we go, heckling. So uh, this is when someone in the audience starts shouting out things when someone is speaking publicly. So it happens in stand-up comedy. You'll be up there. Let's If it's a difficult crowd, if they're an aggressive audience, which happens sometimes, you might be trying to tell your jokes and someone in the audience will be like, you know, like, get a haircut or I don't know what it would be. It's just the random example. Um, okay, right, tell us a joke. That's usually the that's the tough one because you're there telling jokes, and they go, "Come on, mate, tell us a joke." Uh, and you're like, uh, "But but I have been telling you jokes." Oh, I see. It was an insult. Mm. Um, 
what else? I got an injury and it got worse and worse and worse throughout the week. This is what Andy, Andy said. I couldn't run for five weeks. I had physio. I had acupuncture. I had ultrasound. So these aren't idioms, but uh, you know what acupuncture is. But I had physio. Physio, to have physio, that's physiotherapy. That's when, um, you know, you've got a physical injury, let's say a leg injury, and they, they do certain things to help the leg to, to get better, like maybe bending the leg or, or massaging the muscle or whatever. That's physiotherapy. Physio for short, to have physio. And ultrasound, well, ultrasound, that's an ultrasound scan. That's a sort of a scan that, that uses sound as a way of seeing inside your body as an alternative to an x-ray. Uh, to check for an injury, or maybe a baby, like when a woman is pregnant, she'll go for a, an ultrasound scan, and that's how they can actually get images of the baby, and they can kind of, you know, check out the baby and see if it's all right and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's an alternative to an x-ray to check for an injury, or maybe a baby, but but not a baby in Andy's case. That's not why he had a, an ultrasound scan. That would have been strange, wouldn't it? Like if Andy had gone for an ultrasound, and they like, discovered a baby in his leg, that would have been that would have been weird. Like, um, so what seems to be the problem, Mr. Johnson? Well, my, my knee is playing up. It's, it's very stiff and painful when I walk. I think I did it when I was running. And the doctor, go, the physio goes, well, let's, uh, let's just have a look. If you'd like to just uh, lie down here, we'll start the ultrasound. Oh. Oh. Oh, Mr. Johnson, it, it, it appears that you're pregnant. What? Yes, that's, that's right. You have a baby in your knee. But but how is this possible? I've been using contraception, ha ha ha, etc. Let's move on. The physio used to be the physiotherapist for Fulham Football Club. So we had uh, to have physio and also the physio. So the physio can also be the person, the physiotherapist. Okay, so a, a physio, meaning a physiotherapist, and to have physio, meaning physiotherapy. And Andy said, when I walked in, he did a double take thinking that Andy might be the other Andy Johnson who used to play football for Fulham Football Club, uh, which is a club based in London. So to do a double take, that's the expression I'm looking at here. And this is a, a nice uh, a nice one. Um, a double take is always funny. It's always funny when you see someone doing a double take. That's when you look at something briefly, like quickly just look at something and then you look away and then look it back again immediately, very quickly, because you're surprised. So you're kind of looking around, right? So you look at something and then it doesn't register, you look away and then you look back again really quickly. You know what I mean? Like It's very hard for me to do it here because obviously there's no visual element, but you can imagine me kind of going, like a... And you can also do a triple take, which is like, uh, 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 like three, uh, 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 your head goes back and forth a couple of times before you, before the thing actually registers. And you could also do a quadruple take for maximum comic effect, which would be, uh, 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 okay, all right, that's a double take, to do a double take. Andy said, uh, we were just joking around, and Andy said, he's a, a bit of a mover and shaker in the world of football, this Luke Thompson. So if you are a mover and shaker, a mover and shaker in the world of something, typically it's followed by in the world of, like he's a mover and shaker in the world of films. He's a mover and shaker in the world of TEFL, teaching English as a foreign language. He's a bit of a mover and shaker in the world of professional football. So a mover and shaker is a powerful person who influences people and it, it, it initiates events. 
All right. Um, Okay, I need to hurry up a bit. So, uh, any little problem gets exacerbated when you're running a marathon, said Andy, talking about his uh, injury. So, to exacerbate something, or if something gets exacerbated, it means... uh, it it's made worse or it uh it means to make something worse it's not really an idiom but there it is so you know i've got a bit of an injury in my leg and you know running has really exacerbated the injury it's made it worse moving on uh it seems to be so andy was talking about his leg again it seems to be touch wood it seems to be okay so people say touch wood as a superstition to wish themselves luck or for protection against bad luck it's like saying fingers crossed so touch wood it's like yeah you know it's not raining uh, you know sh- hopefully it won't be raining uh, this afternoon touch wood okay it's a way of sort of wishing yourself good luck um and i said do you have a, a full slap up breakfast or is it just a banana to keep the wolf from the door so a slap up breakfast slap up it's an adjective and it's used before a meal and it means an excellent meal or first class meal for example, a slap-up meal or a slap-up breakfast. It's usually used in an enthusiastic and, and informal way to talk about a really good full meal. Mmm, a big slap-up breakfast. Yum, yum, yum. And also, to keep the wolf from the door, uh, this means to eat just enough to prevent hunger, just to stave off hunger. Hung, hunger? Hunger. To stave off hunger. So, for example, you might say, well, you know, it's not it's not lunchtime yet, but I'm just going to have a banana to keep the wolf from the door. Do you want to? Do you want to take a banana just to keep the wolf from the door? For example, next thing is um, uh, Andy said you go out too fast um, at the beginning of a marathon. So after six or seven kilometres, you're knackered. Knackered is actually spelt with a K, K N A C K E R E D, but the K at the start is silent. So it's not knackered, it's knackered. Okay. And knackered is British English slang and it means extremely tired. Like, oh God, I'm knackered. Okay. Um, everyone's in the same boat. They've trained for ages. There's music and, uh, the, and the camaraderie. They're running together. Everything, everybody just goes off far too quickly. Everyone's in the same boat. If you're in the same boat, it means you're in the same situation as someone else. Okay? Like, for example, you know, I'm trying to get seven on my IELTS exam, and at the moment I'm stuck at 6.5. And it's like, yeah, me too. All right, so we're in the same boat. Okay, so we're in the same situation. Normally, I think it's... I think it's normally a difficult situation when when you say in the same boat. Okay, like when you're both in a difficult situation. We're in the same boat. Um, the The charity is something that's very close to my heart. This is Andy talking about the Christie Foundation Trust. If something is very close to your heart, it means it's very important to you. It means a lot to you. It's emotionally very important to you. Okay. Um, and when you're when you're wishing someone luck, you, as you may know, we say break a leg often before a performance like if before a presentation or something you would say come on good luck break a leg it means have a good show and i explained that a leg in this case refers to a limb l-i-m-b that's limb a limb is an arm or a leg but it also can mean a large piece of wood like a beam a beam is used in constructing a building like a large piece of wood for constructing a building you might have beams in in the ceiling of your house uh you, you know be careful not to hit your head on the on the low beams um 
but uh, a limb can also be a, la- a, a the branch of a tree. So it's just a large piece of wood can be a limb. That's why we say break a leg. Because uh, in comedy, when you have a really good show, you raise the roof. That means the roof comes off because the audience are laughing and applauding so much. You raise the roof and you might actually break the roof. You might break uh, a, a, a pe- you know one of the beams in the roof. You break a limb or you break a leg. So break a leg means I hope you have such a great show that the roof comes off the building. Um. And um, someone said this. I don't know who it was. Someone said, I was using it in a very irreverent way, a very light-hearted way. So irreverent just means light-hearted. It's another word for light-hearted, irreverent. Not irrelevant. Irrelevant with a l. Irrelevant means not important or not significant or not relevant. But irreverent, no L, irreverent uh, means light-hearted. Okay, watch out for that. We were talking about the expression, uh, it's the cross I bear. Yes, the cross. Andy was saying it. he didn't mean any offence when he was saying, when we were talking about the expression, it's the cross I bear. Uh, in, in English, we do use that phrase, it's the cross I bear, meaning it's like a, 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 a burden that you carry in your life. Like in, this ca- in Andy's case, he looks a bit like um, Moby, but I think we're really overstating that at this point. Um, what's the cross I bear? The cross I bear is that I I just can't be brief, that I ramble. It's the cross I bear. Um, so anyway, and the final one is I'm all at sea. If you're all at sea, it means you're confused and you're not sure what to do. And we talked about how I'm all at sea might mean different, you know, there might be different equivalents in different places. And because in the UK, uh, we are a seafaring nation because we're an island surrounded by water that I'm all at sea is a uh, a phrase that we might use. But in other places where, you know, the geography is different, you might have different expressions. Like, for example, I'm in the desert, or I'm lost in the desert. Okay, so that that's the vocab. And there you go. Come on, people. That must be useful for you. A huge slice of English learning cake there for you to feast upon. You could feed a whole family on that for about a week in some places, I reckon. So again, I'd just like to mention, like I did uh, in the last episode at this point, what do you think of this idea of this pre of this paid membership, premium membership system I'm talking about? Here's the plan, right? You could sign up to be a premium member of Luke's English Podcast for a nominal amount per month, or maybe per six months or per year. You'd get access to a certain number of language-related episodes of LEPP, that's LEP Premium, per month. The episodes would be available in the app or on a website. Episodes would mostly deal with language that has come up naturally in conversations on Luke's English Podcast, like what I've done here, or the recent grammar episodes that I've done. Um, And... Yes, and remember that I did upload um, this part two of the grammar episode. It was called Grammar Questions. I uploaded part two of that into the app. So if you haven't got the app yet, that maybe there's some incentive to go and get it, that, that part two of the Grammar Questions episode is up there in the app for the app users. So um, the premium uh, idea, yes, you get a certain number of language-focused episodes, language-related but with the usual funny examples and explanations and things. And also, there would be more phrasal verb episodes. I'd continue the phrasal verb series uh, for the for the LEPP premium people. And probably other things, because I would want to reward my premium lepsters, or plepsters, as they could be called. So I'd probably offer little videos and other things too, all for the price of a beer or a sandwich for me per month. 
that's something that's just in the pipeline at the moment. Now, you might be thinking, well, why aren't you doing it now, Luke? Why, isn't, why can't I sign up for that now? Well, good question. I've been talking about this sort of thing for ages, haven't I? I have. It's slightly harder than you might think to implement this stuff, especially when I'm, you know, you know, the usual story of balancing everything else in my life and all that stuff. The thing is, as well, I really want this to work. And if I was to start a new thing like that, I'd really want it to work. I wouldn't want to just start something that would be half-baked. I want it to be worthwhile. I want it to work. So I'm not going to start it until I'm sort of in a position where I feel like, yeah, that would that could work. That's something I could keep doing and that people would be interested in and that would be worth doing, you know, because I wouldn't want to like spend all my time on it and have no, uh, um, I have no sort of uh, benefit from it, you know. I want it to be profitable for me. Um, because doing all this language analysis stuff is great and everything, but it does take quite a lot of time. I want to be able to make sure that my time is not being wasted and that, frankly, that I can get paid to do this because, you know, why should I be doing it for free? I mean, I can't justify that. So anyway, it takes a while before I'm in a position where I can be like, yeah, actually, that will work. And then, all right, let's do it, you know. So enthusiastic responses from you would certainly give me a boost. I think it would be really great, don't you? I just hope that you realise that too. Anyway, you can contact me about it, if you like, using the usual methods of contact. Um, And just before we go, let me remind you to join the mailing list so you get uh, emails in your inbox when new stuff has been uploaded. Download the Luke's English Podcast app so that you can get uh, the app-only episodes and that you'll be in the right place when the premium stuff drops, if and when it does. And finally, nice one for getting to the end of this episode quite long as my episodes are but you know that's what it's all about long term listening for longer periods of time listening regularly imagine all that english that's gone into your brain that's good that's very good it's totally great it's totally terrific um nice one give yourself a pat on the back well done you for for being good to your english i think you can agree that your english is now better than it was before you started listening to this, can't you? I mean, how could it be worse than it was before? It can only be better than it was before you started listening to this, right? I think you can agree with that statement. Yes. Okay, time to go now. Speak to you again soon on the podcast. But for now, goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.